One of these dissenting votes came from Congressman Albert Gallatin Riddle, an anti-slavery man from Ohio's Western Reserve who confessed that he could hardly believe his ears as he heard member after member vote for an explicit statement that the war would be fought in such a way that it would not affect the institution of slavery in the slightest degree. He went to the member's lobby after he had voted, and there some of his colleagues urged him to go back and change his vote. Riddle flared up at them. Slavery, he said, was doomed to die, and every sensible man knew it, and when it died it would not simply be voted out of existence. It would be abolished by convulsion, fire, and blood, and the convulsion had already begun. The convulsion was, in short, this war, which, as Mr. Riddle felt, was being so badly defined, and he wanted the war recognized as the thing that would kill slavery. I mean to make a conquest of it, to beat it to extinction under the iron hooves of our war horses. Northerners who thought that the war could be fought without touching the slavery issue, he said, were like children who tiptoed about in the dark for fear of waking a destroying ogre. For himself, he believed that the ogre was already awake, and that the thing to do now was to kill it. In the middle of that summer of 1861, the thing Mr. Riddle was talking about was actually more disturbing than the Bull Run defeat itself. The military disaster was humiliating, even infuriating. But it was not, to a people who after all were fairly tough-minded, really frightening. It might even help to inspire them to put down secession and to restore the shattered American past in all its beauty. But to say flatly that the war would be fought against slavery, thereby implying unmistakably that it would be fought for slavery's opposite freedom, which is unlimited, was to bid an eternal goodbye to the cherished past, to confess that it could never be restored on earth. It was to invoke revolution, far-ranging and uncontrollable, in order to put down mere rebellion, and at this point in their development the people were not ready for any such invocation. Still, there it was. If the war became great, it would transcend the intentions of its authors. This might have momentous results at home, and it was beginning to be apparent that it could also have consequences overseas. It was apparent at least to the Secretary of State, William H. Seward, who had sought to make use of the fact in his conduct of the nation's foreign policy. This policy struck Charles Francis Adams, the minister to England, as almost inconceivably bold and aggressive, so reckless that for a time he suspected that someone in the administration had gone mad. Mr. Adams reached London two months before the Battle of Bull Run was fought, and soon after he got there he received a letter from Secretary Seward saying that the United States would unhesitatingly make war on any European nation or combination of nations which extended aid, comfort, or recognition to the Southern Confederacy. It was hard to be sure about Mr. Seward. Mr. Adams's son Henry, looking at the man from his own special vantage point, saw a slouching figure with a head like a wise macaw, a gravelly voice, disorderly clothes, and a baffling way of indulging in loose talk which might or might not reflect his inner thoughts. Mr. Seward, the younger Adams reflected, 
had worn a politician's mask so long that neither he nor anyone else was always sure whether the impression he made at any given moment was real or contrived. Seward had a basic integrity which impressed the older Adams, along with an uncomplicated sense of fun which appealed to President Lincoln. And Mr. Adams believed that someone else must have fathered his foreign policy. In his diary, he remarked that a conflict with a handful of slave-holding states seemed to be giving the Lincoln administration all that it could handle. And he wondered, what are we to do when we throw down the glove to all Europe? If he had known all of the facts, Mr. Adams would have been even more painfully baffled. The policy was not merely Mr. Seward's own, but it reached London in a form much less sharp than Mr. Seward had originally intended. As the secretary drafted it, the letter had been downright provocative. A taunting challenge to the British government to view secession, the blockade.